Hello everyone, I'm so glad you can join me on Talk Racing to Me with Naomi, show 12, I had to think about that, not 11, 12. I'm right now near Belmont Park, I just came up this afternoon and both my uh, esteemed guests today are either in Churchill Downs, Kentucky or Timonium, Maryland, whilst I recorded these interviews over the last two days just outside of Washington, D.C. So how's that for a little interstate happiness? This week we have Al Stoll Jr. on, as well as Colt Pike from Pike Racing. Of course, before we move on, we at the In The Money Media team would very much appreciate it if you subscribe to In The Money Media channel, as well as rate or review our shows. So you can do that on the In The Money podcast.com or anywhere that you listen to our podcasts. Al Stoll chatted about his stable star, Tom's Data, getting him to the Breeders' Cup Classic, comparing him to Blaine, and other notable horses in his barn that you really want to keep an eye out for. And I didn't know as much about Al's background before this interview, so I encourage everyone to soak up what he tells us, as well as to keep in the back of your mind when watching racing, backing his horses the way he operates, because it really speaks volumes on how his horses are prepared and his uh, success rate reflects it as well. It's a quick note, in 2017, he operated at a sky-high 27% win rate, 22% win rate in 2018, and he signed off 2019 with 20% winners to runners, which is also the exact same as his career percentage, which is quite a defeat. And his story on the first morning out on his own as a trainer is quite a tale as well. You want to stick around for that one. Then I'm joined by Colt Pike after a very successful sale for his family's operation, Pike Racing, at the Phasic Tipton Timonium two-year-old sales where they consigned the top lot, a son of Uncle Mo, who sold for 1.1 million US dollars. Amidst all the celebration, he graciously gave me some of his time to go over their horses' operation and what their process is like. And even though he did tell me later on that his dad was looking out the window of the place they were celebrating at, wondering what he was doing, I appreciate it, Cole. I appreciate you taking the time out. And Al, don't worry, he was saying some good things about you and the Pike Racing team. Without further ado, though, we'll go to my first guest... Al Stoll Jr. Hey Al, wonderful to have you on. Where are you at currently? And do you remember you were talking about moving your horses to the next racetrack? Where will you be going? Yeah, well, we're we're at Churchill right now and we're going to ship to Saratoga um, on Tuesday the 7th. So six days from now, we're going to take a small group, no more than 12 horses, to New York. Okay. How many remain behind in Churchill Downs? Yeah, everything is uh, in, in Kentucky. We're in uh, Churchill Downs and Churchill Downs Training uh, Facility, which is called Trackside. So we'll, we move the Saratoga horses out. We'll bring the Trackside horses in here, and we'll keep like 30 horses in Kentucky during the summer to run at Keeneland, the short meet Keeneland a few at Ellis Park, and basically get the younger horses ready for fall racing. Well, it's good to hear you've got a couple going to Saratoga. I'll be in Saratoga as well. Let, let's get started on um, your current stable star, Tom Zetat. He won the grade two Stephen Foster, and he really has made a phenomenal start to 2020 after signing off 2019 with his grade one Clark Stakes win. How is he looking now, a couple of days after his victory? He went back to the track this morning, and he was full of life, very playful. He appears to have come out of the race in really good shape. I like to take a little bit more time to give the full thumbs up, but right now we're, we like, we're loving everything we've seen so far since Saturday. What is your normal procedure after a race? Would they jog for a couple of days? No, actually, we just walk them. Uh, so he ran on Saturday, he walked Sunday morning, he walked on Monday morning, and we get him out on Monday and jog him on the pavement up and down for soundness, and he did well there. Then he had his third day off yesterday, and today he went out first thing in the morning, 
cooler weather and just jogged one mile around the, a racetrack and came back home and got his regular routine of a bath and grass and things like that. So uh, just kind of ease him, ease him back into work. And he ran hard enough to where he really doesn't need much of anything uh, for the rest of the year, to be quite honest with you. He maintains himself extremely well. Okay, well, it's always interesting to hear that some horses need more training than others. Very glad to hear that he's come out of it so well. Uh, I did do some digging and saw tentative plans for him this year with the ultimate goal being the Breeders' Cup Classic, that, of course, he's now in with the Breeders' Cup Classic winning your in race that he just won. Is he still on course for that? Oh, absolutely. He's, we've, we've had this in our mind since uh, right, as, right as he finished the Clark last year just about uh so right now our plan is it, it, it took a few zigs and zags during the during the winter but in the spring with uh covid but he seems to be kind of on the track we had planned for him uh in, in late 2019 so uh yeah we're 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 headlong for it he's a 7 year old now and he hasn't been without injury what is the secret to having been able to continue with him and that he seems to actually be doing better at an older age than what you would normally expect of a racehorse to sort of peak at four or three even right well we what happened with tom is he flashed he's always flashed talent so every time he had a setback we said well we, we have to fix this and bring him back and then he'd come back and he he would display the talent he would run these incredibly good races have another little setback, and we just said, you know, because he really everything everything seemed like to be uh, almost traumatic issues that happened. It wasn't like we had these chronic nagging things. All of a sudden, it was just something just would pop up, and so uh, that gave us confidence to lay him up that it would heal, and then he could come back 100. percent So we uh, like like shampoo, you know, we rinsed and repeated and repeated. <laughs> so we uh. Uh, and finally, he just found his stride and he stayed sound for this coming up on almost two straight years. And he's got some continuity in his life. And I think that's what's made him the racehorse he is, uh, that he's strung together racing with training and no hiccups, no setbacks. And most probably that's why he's made it to seven years old. A, on raw talent and class and heart, tenacity, and B, the fact that he wasn't beat up when he was a younger horse. So uh, most probably a confluence of all different factors coming together and to get us here. We're not going to ask why. We're just going to keep on, keep on going. <laughs> Enjoying the ride whilst it lasts. So what is he like as a character? Nice. Class horse. Um, He's territorial in front of his stall, so you got to be careful. But once you open the screen and go in with him, he's he's a he's a very classy horse. He can do anything. He's been shown to some breeders as of late, and we take him out the stall. And if it wasn't for the flies and him wanting to get over to that patch of grass to graze, he just stands there and lets everybody look at him and um, knows he's special. So. Uh, He's, he's easy to deal with. He's easy to gallop and uh, to jog and things like that. And, uh, he's very willing. Uh, if you want to make him train harder, you, you can tell him to do it and he'll do it. Otherwise, he'll kind of take care of himself. And that might have something to do with his longevity um, because he's not, he's not hard on himself. Going to sort of compare a similar path that you took with Blaine, because it was 10 years ago that Blaine won the Stephen Foster in a season that saw him go on to win the 2010 Breeders' Cup Classic. He, of course, beating Publix Darlings and Yatta, he went from the Stephen Foster to win the Whitney and then finished second in the Jockey Club Gold Cups before going to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Is that a similar path that you're trying to take with Tom Zetat? Well, certainly the Whitney. Certainly the Whitney. Um... He's got a really good record at Saratoga. And, you know, after that, we don't know. Uh, we're just, you know, I know people wear out the one race at a time type of thing, but um, we're just going to focus in on the Whitney uh, to get him there exactly how we want him and see how he does there. And then the 
Breeders' Cup would be August, September. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be you know, three months away, right? Mm-hmm. August, September, October. So, you know, you have to try and pick something in the middle. Uh, I mean, everything would be open at that time. Uh, I know Churchill has changed their meetup a little bit due to Derby Week being September 1st. How strange that sounds. But um, so I think they put maybe a couple races on hiatus, like the Lucas Classic and things like that. But uh, anyway, we'll just, like I said, we'll just uh, point for Whitney. Hopefully we make it there like we want to make, like, we, you know, in the shape we want to be in. And then uh, after that, I'm not really sure. It's always good to keep your options open. And I don't want to put you on the spot because I know people tend to ask you, you know, who was the better horse, Blame or Tom Sittat? But I'd love to know how are they alike and how are they different? Because I know Blame was four when he won the British Cup Classic and the Stephen Foster and Tom Sittat, of course, is now seven. And I'm assuming they're very different horses, seemingly following a, a similar structure. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, obviously Blame's the better horse because Blame is made to the mountaintop. Uh, Tom is trying to work his way up that way. But um, you know, believe it or not, they're, they're fairly similar. They've they're got the same type of attitude, and they, their styles are tactical racehorses in a race. Uh, they lay close, and like the other day, the pace was 48, so we, we were jumping right on it. If they had gone out there, like, say, those Phillies had gone in the Fleur de Lis, 46 and three-quarters and nine and change, he would have been... He would have been back off of him somewhere, most probably around where, you know, Midnight Bisou was. So um, he's, got, he's got a little adversity. You know, he's not pace dependent, and he can kind of make his own race. So um, they're, they're, uh, they're similar because, I mean, in the Whitney for Blaine, uh, Quali Road was out making an easy lead, and Gary Gomez did a brilliant job of keeping him closer to the slower pace than he might normally find himself. And uh, when they turned for him, he was in the right position to uh, – to make his kick, so uh, they they are they are kind of similar to be quite honest with you. Are they similar to train as well? Yeah, yeah. Blame was easy and laid back, um, a puppy of a type of horse, and uh, Tom is similar to that too. Uh, they we didn't have to worry about who would get on them all the time, and and weren't, they were not going to go out on the racetrack and run off with a rider, so to speak, like some horses want to do, and. Or, or the opposite of that, be all sulky and not want, not want to go. Uh, they were, they're both willing. They were willing to participate in whatever we asked them to do. So um, there are similarities. I guess, I guess that's basically what class is in a racehorse. Yeah, well, I remember the horses that take you for a ride on the track instead of the other way around as an exercise ride. It's, it's always nice when they work with you instead of against yeah. you. Yep, yeah, that's what them. I remember seeing Blame at Claiborne, and that was, I think, about two years ago, looking phenomenal. But remember also thinking he was the one beating Zenyatta. I feel like that's a stamp he's going to carry with him forever. I know that probably has no effect on you. Have you had a chance to go out and see him? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been there numerous times. Uh, and he looks the same. And like you said, he's a classy horse. He looks like he's having a, a great time. And he's made a name for himself in the stud, which is, which is exciting. Um, it's always fun to look for blame babies, and we're excited about Nadal and heartbroken by Nadal uh, in the same breath. So, yeah, everything uh, everything was uh, uh, everything's good with blame. He's a, he's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> look out, Pletcher Stallions! Uh, Al Stall Jr. is coming up with his stallions. <laughs> but um, let's have a chat about some of the other horses that you have in your barn. Are there any horses in particular that you're really excited about at present coming through the ranks? Now, I have looked up a few that we might be able to discuss, but I'd love to sort of let you lead the way. Okay, well, we're, we've got, uh, starting just on our calendar, uh, the van is pulling up to the barn right now to take a, a filly to Belmont to run in a stake race Friday uh, named Galika. Uh, she's uh, in the license fee, and she's a... German bred horse who we bought out of France. So she's a world traveler and, and she had a great last race here at Churchill. And we think she's extremely live in that stake race, um, Friday at Belmont. So she'll be, she'll be off and off and running, uh, in a matter of minutes. And, um, our next horse we might run in the stake race would be a horse named Real News who's going to run in Shaker Town at Keeneland. He's a turf sprinter who, 
we like a lot. Um, he had a weird. He 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 was a victim of the the COVID. Uh, his schedule got majorly interrupted, um, and we got him in allowance race at Churchill. He was a favorite, and he was having a good trip into the turn. And the horse he did something very strange. Uh, kind of lost his action. The rider said he overreacted to a horse crowding him a little bit, which is strange to us because the horse had been very seasoned and run a bunch of races and. Um, he fell back and ended up coming back and running fourth. He ran actually a really good race. So we don't know what that happened, what mental error that was. But uh, we're looking forward to running him a week from this Saturday at Keeneland. So that's uh, that's something to look forward to. And I guess the rest would be just kind of regular horses, so to speak. Um, uh, a few of them have potential to, to come on, like In Good Spirits was third in the regret, her second race off of layoff. And uh, we like her going forward. And, and then it's all about the future. Our, our young horses are here, not not all of them, but most of them. And we're trying to see who raises their hand and say, hey, I'm the one. So uh, uh, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, well, you definitely mentioned a fair few of the horses I was going to ask you about. I had In Good Spirits on my list and Delica. Also noticed um, Party Licious, a three-year-old fast Anna who broke her maiden on her first start. She was 22 to 1. Uh, where is she going next and how is she doing? She's going to another trainer's barn this afternoon. Oh, uh, she's no, been, I'm so she, sorry. No, 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 no. She's been sold privately, and I'm not sure. I know the agents, and I don't really know the players. They, they dealt with the owners, but uh, I'm happy for the owners. They're, they're local Kentucky guys who claimed the horses, claimed her mother for $10,000 at Tampa Bay Downs, and uh, I can tell you they got more than $10,000 for this filly. So, uh, um it's it's okay. I don't mind. You know, I don't mind. Um, it's all about keeping you know keeping the owners happy and and uh, these guys are good guys and they made a little score and uh, believe me, we're wishing they own the mayor still and she's in full to carrying a full sibling to to party licious and um, so where she ends up, I'm not sure exactly what trainer. I'm just I'm literally waiting for them to tell me what to do and when to do it. But uh, she did pass all the veterinarian inspections and. The money has been is moving around today, and so she'll be she'll most probably be in a new home uh, either this evening or no no later than tomorrow. Yeah, I guess that's all part of the game. But good to hear you also have a couple of two year olds that you hope will turn out quite nice. Uh, how many do you normally have each year? Yeah, it just depends on how the sales go and the uh, yearly sales, the two year old training, and then some breeders. I'm guessing our average two year old crop is. Right around 20 horses, I guess. Um, oh, that's still a very good number. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not, certainly it's not small, and it's not one of those massive ones that the, the, big, the big guys have, but, uh, yeah, they come from the right people, and, uh, and, and then we buy some yearlings, and so we have, you know, we have a little pride in hopefully getting something uh, done that, you know, that we bought to sale. So, uh, yeah, no, everything, everything's fine. We like, uh, very happy with the size of our outfit. That's the way we like to keep it, and uh, very happy with the, you know, the quality of the owners is as important to me as, as anybody else. I just uh, I'm, I'm prefer to train for you know good people and who I can communicate with and, and you know kind of give me the free reign to do the right thing. And uh, and the best case scenario happens when uh, uh, the good good people have a good horse, and, and it makes the ride really fun. Yeah, it's very rewarding indeed. And how has it been like for you as well as your owners during these last couple of months that we weren't able to run? I heard, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that the owners moved their horses, send the farms, did this, did that. My, my, my people understood the situation and, and we just tried to be patient and, and there weren't any complaints and we weren't nervous about losing horses. We were just more nervous about where we would, you know, end up running and things like that. So uh, between the fairgrounds, letting us continue to train there after their meet closed, Oaklawn Park, uh, going, you know, getting their meet all the way to closing day, which was unbelievably good for a lot of people, for everybody. And then Churchill really bending over backwards and working hard with the state and the Jefferson County uh, health people to get Churchill up and running to give us a, new, a really strong month and a half of racing and, now we're kind of in a little bit of rhythm with Keeneland coming up, Ellis, Saratoga. So uh, uh, 
horse racing is, is done well, you know, compared to most, um, in the, in the, in the world of COVID. So, uh, we're very, very grateful for that. And, and hopefully our owners who are very patient, uh, will get, will get paid off somewhere down the road. Oh, I hope they will indeed. And getting back to the sort of structure and schedule you were mentioning, what does a normal year look like for you? Where would you have horses competing? Because it varies uh, greatly per trainer. Yeah, it does, but not for me. Um, a long time ago, uh, my mentor, Frank Brothers, told me, he said, he said, you got to go where you can get horses. And those are the, those are the truest words ever spoken in this game. So, there's only been two places in the, in the, in the country that I get horses and Louisiana is one of them and Kentucky's the other. Um, so I just, uh, I kind of keep my fairgrounds in New Orleans during the winter, uh, Kentucky the rest of the year. And, you know, the little, the little offshoots to Saratoga and places like that are just, uh, busman's holiday, so to speak. And, uh, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, get the good horses in, in, in the better races up there and, and just kind of really trying to enjoy ourselves because I mean, Saratoga is such a wonderful place for a horse person. So uh, uh, we, we keep it pretty structured, and it's worked out for us. I mean, I've tried, you know, I've gone to Texas, and I've gone to Chicago, and, and I'd go up there with, say, 25 horses, and after a month we'd have 23, and after two months we'd have 17, and the, the, sa- the stables would just shrink instead of expand. So uh, I, I just kind of stay on the circuit where I know I can uh, – um, doing long enough where I can keep uh, some new blood coming in the barn. Well, let's talk about something different. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background because you come from a horse racing lineage with your dad, a long-serving chairman of the Louisiana Racing Commission. Do you think it was about 28 years? But you went to work at an oil company during your time at Louisiana State University and a little bit afterwards. Now, this really caught my interest because that's quite different from what the majority of aspiring trainers tend to do. They go, you know, uh, serve as an assistant trainer. And I know you've gone up underneath some great people, like you mentioned, Frank Brothers. But what were you doing at the oil company? Well, first thing, my father, he was was in the oil business himself. He he got a graduate degree uh, from the University of Oklahoma. And and so that's what he did. And he just ended up, because of his love for racing and he knew uh, uh, some people in the administration of, uh, of Governor Edwin Edwards in the early 70s and you know they wanted they wanted horse people uh, on the racing commission and he obviously was the obvious person to put in there so and, and he enjoyed that so he, he just decided he stayed around for different administrations and uh, he, he did a lot of good for racing Louisiana was the first state to have um, Sunday racing uh, they were the first state to have uh, uh, multiple uh, wagers like uh, exactas and pick sixes and things like that. Um, every it used to be just one place show and a daily double, so we expanded all that. And you got to let the people drink on Sundays at the track, <laughs> and uh, so, so uh, he, he was a uh, he was a forward thinking guy, and uh, and so that was my lead in because we were always at the track when I was young, and he was smart enough to know. Uh, you surround yourself with the right people. So he ended up with Jack Vanberg, and Jack Vanberg's assistant trainer was Frank Brothers. Obviously, it's going way back. And uh, so that's how we got all tied in. And as far as uh, school, I went to a high school where 99.9% of the kids went to college. And uh, I went off to LSU and and uh, didn't really know what to do and just messing around, I guess, because my father was an old man. I said, well, I'll take geology and went through, went through that. And... Um, Got a little part-time job um, in my fifth year of school. I crammed four years of college into five, uh, and I got uh, I got a little job with the oil company, and I, I liked it, and they liked me, and we were going along fine. And uh, we had a downturn in the business, uh, the oil business, and my boss uh, unfortunately got cancer, and a bunch of things happened, and we uh, and uh, our office was based out of Houston, and we were in New Orleans, and they shut the New Orleans office down. And, you know, I was young and I'd been on the racetrack working summers for Frankie and, and, uh, during the winter breaks. And I just went to the track and, uh, I was happy doing it. I was young and single and, you know, no children, you know, none of that. And I just bounced around from New York and 
Chicago and uh, lived a bunch of different places in California and, uh, you know, kind of learned from all over everywhere. Uh, Frankie weaned me uh, in 1991 and I've been, been going along ever since. So was it always a, a dream to become a trainer? Because training is, well, as you know, it's very challenging. I remember when thinking of what I wanted to do in the industry, I definitely considered training. But, you know, all the challenges of not just training horses, but running a business, looking after your staff and having good owners, like you mentioned. Was that something that appealed to you from the get-go? Well, that's that's the thing. I got to experience, uh, you know, I got to experience the other side of life. Um, obviously through college and, and then I worked for a little company for like three and a half years. So basically till I was about 25 years old. So I got to experience, you know, what, what it was like to be a so-called regular person. And, uh, and so when I went back to the track, I was mature enough and ready, ready for it. I kind of, uh, had, you know, I kind of knew that, uh, what it took and, and I, I'd seen, I'd seen, you know, what weekends off and all that felt like. It didn't didn't really bother me too much, but I was, you know, I've, I've been all in on horse racing from a very, very young age. <laughs> I mean, very, very young. Uh, so uh, I can't remember being hardly taught anything because I was so young. Uh, it, it, it's in my mind and everything, but it's just, it, it was kind of a natural thing. And um, and so when 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 it came time for, you know, the oil company shut down and some of those older guys were staying there trying to figure out what they were going to do. They had kids and all that kind of stuff. I felt bad for them, but I, I had an easy spot just to slide right in. All I did was just pick the phone up and call Frankie. And he said, come on, you know, so I met him at Arlington Park in the summer of 91. And you went out on your own, I, I think it was a couple of years after that, or did you go out quite soon on your own? And what made, what made that happen? Yeah, well, see, I'd already worked for Frankie in, in Louisiana Downs in Shreveport, Louisiana, for multiple summers, and and um, and then well, I'm trying to think of what I did. Uh, it's so long ago. And then uh, he sent me a few different places, and uh, and uh, I want to say '86. So it was about four or five years of working with Frankie, and then uh, it was time. It was time for me to go. He went to Florida, and I went to the fairgrounds in. Uh, fall of 91 uh but he was kind enough you know like a, he's like a family obviously he let me have one two three by the time by the time we left arlington park in in the summer of 91 the fall of 91 i had like a half a dozen horses and then uh i got down to fairgrounds i was 100 percent on my own no nobody asked questions to and uh uh I remember the first day we went to train at, at the fairgrounds, and I thought I had bridles and this and that. I thought I had everything. We went to saddle the horse the first set, and we looked up. We didn't have any saddle pads. <laughs> like, okay, uh, we've got everything, but maybe the most important thing for a horse. So we 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 got standing bandages um, and put them under the horse until I could go to the tax store. It didn't open that early, and and buy a couple little uh, foam pads to put under the saddle. So. Uh, that was, that was, that's how I broke away from Frank and then just gradually built up, uh, you know, to about a 50 horse stable and, and every once in a while we get a little bigger than that, 60, 70 horses. And I just kind of like to ease back down into the 50 range and, uh, just, I'm more comfortable doing that. And, um, so that's where we are today. I was going to suggest that you use towels instead of uh, instead of your pads, but you said standing bandages. Yeah, yeah, they had a little, you know, they had a little pad in them. So, uh, and uh, but that was only for a set or two till we could grab some. And, and we were at the fairgrounds. We were the first person there uh, coming out of Keeneland. Uh, everybody else was at various tracks, so I couldn't borrow anything from anybody. Uh, so, uh, but we, we we took care of that uh, in, in a couple hours later. Otto, oh, Otto, Otto, Otto Thorworth was my first exercise rider who played Ron Turcott in Secretariat. No way. A little trivia. The little guy who played Turcott, he had a pretty big part in the movie, was uh, my first exercise rider in 91. That is so cool. Yeah, no, I remember that movie. I, I've even got my non-horse racing friends on that movie because I love yeah. it so much. Even though all the inaccuracies, I just love the movie. So, wow, that's really cool. Yep, that's 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 a trivia a little trivial thing that nobody really wants to know but that that's what happened <laughs> did 
you ever ride out yourself or do you go with them on the pony? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, not really. I've always been big. Uh, you know, I mean, big like I'm six one, And, uh, yeah, I never had a burning desire. I'd get on Frankie's pony uh, early and go around and blow him around the track, blow out around the track a little bit. But I just, uh, you know, I never just had a burning desire to, to get on him. I mean, like I said, I was always... Uh, 175 pounds, 180 pounds, 6'1". It just, you know, I wasn't designed to, uh, a lot of people say, oh, I want to gallop, I want to gallop. I, that, I didn't have that burning desire to do that. So um, right now we have a stable pony that my assistant, uh, Pam Fitzgerald, rides. And uh, he's one of my ex-race uh, horses that we had years ago. And, and that's about all we do. That's always a very good second career for some of the horses coming off the track. Al, I think I've taken up plenty of your time. I really, really enjoyed having a chat with you. And I'm so excited to see Tom Sita uh, at Saratoga, hopefully, well, going into it happy and well, as you mentioned, he currently is. And yeah, thank you again. It was really a pleasure. Oh, Naomi, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad it got to, I'm glad we worked it out. Very much enjoyed learning more about Al and his horses and looking forward to seeing Delica running at Belmont on Friday in the license fee stake. So good luck to them. And on to our next guest of the show, Cole Pike, who works alongside his family at Pike Racing. They had a tremendous sale. Before we move on, my European ass keeps forgetting to say hip instead of lot when talking about the sales horses. So do excuse me on that front. Actually, do you also excuse me for saying ass because I think I said it once on television and then I was told that that's not a word I'm allowed to use. So my European brain keeps forgetting to say hip instead of lot. So it's hip. Aside from that, we're good to go. Cool. How is the phasic Tipton Timonian sale for you? Are you still in Maryland right now? Well, yep. Uh, we're here in Maryland and uh, Timonium at the Maryland Fairgrounds. And this sale has been actually spectacular for the Pike family. Um, one of our best sales we've ever had. It's been, a, it's been a pretty crazy year so far, just with the, um, but we, 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 ha we kind of had an idea going into it because we, we've, we've been hearing from a few people, this is the best horses, this is the best crop we've ever bought. And my dad's been telling me this, you know, I was down in Australia buying some horses and starting a little pin hooking syndicate there and he'd call me all the time and just brag about not necessarily brag but to talk to me about how much you know he um he really thought of these horses so when when it, it's it's nice when they come to the uh the track and they perform and as well as you think they will and you get the results that you hope for it doesn't always happen that way but it, uh, it happened for us more more so than often this year. Well, it's very good having a lot of faith going into a sale. But mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it's been quite a difficult year. Did going into this sale and going into some of the other sales and with the crop you have, did that worry you all? And is this a weight of your shoulders or a relief for the fact that you weren't certain how the sales season was going to look like. But also let's quickly mention for those that don't know, you guys sold the top lot at this sale. Your uncle Mo Cole brought $1.1 million. So we'll talk about him in a second, but just so uh, people know the background and why we're <laughs> chatting here today. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We couldn't be more excited about that. We were obviously coming into this year a little unknown um, this was our first time we went back to OBS because we haven't been down there in a while. And, um, you know, my dad, he, he likes the dirt. He prefers the dirt, he, you know, the dirt track at this two-year-old sales. He's like, We're, we run on it all the time. So he thinks it just makes more sense. And the horses really show themselves better on the dirt. But at the same time, that being said, I, we understand why. OBS, they have so much, and there's a lot of rain down in Florida, so it just makes more sense to have a track that's, you know, going to be more fair and consistent when they're breezing, you know, a week worth of breezes. But I, I told him, I'm like, Dad, you know, we got to get down, back down to OBS. We're, we're getting more clients, and we're expanding. We started a pin hooking syndicate, and, you know, it, we have to sell at one, you know, the biggest two year old auction house in the u.s i was like we just have to so we went back down there and we we brought three colts that we 
that were early and you know precocious and uh we were rewarded pretty heavily down there so it started off it started off with a bang and we're happy that we could be able to keep it rolling because the sales season itself how has it been different this year i was trying to look up all the dates but of course the calendar has sort of been turned onto its head could you shed some light as to what it currently looks like and how that has affected you guys in terms of where you're sending horses. Yeah, so actually we had we had about three or four headed to Texas. We bought, we like to support that sale down there because that's where we are originally, and it, it got canceled this year. And we had three going to Keeneland as well. So they all kind of we knew we had some bigger bigger colts that were nice and we really didn't want them to have them at the same sale kind of you know kind of competing against against each other but um since those two sales got canceled and everything got pushed back you know we just uh we, we really didn't have a choice but you know that the, the, they're gonna find the good ones if they if they show up and, and they do their job no matter where they are and going to Timonium, what kind of experience have you guys had previously with this sale? I'm afraid I've never attended myself, so I'd love to hear more about the sale. Well, we like it up here. Uh, my dad's been coming up here for years, and you know they have they have Phasic has the big Goldstream sale um, down there, and you know it's some of the best of the best. And uh, in we have horses that could probably go there every year, but. We, we like to not press on them that hard and get them ready in early March. And the May slot for the usual Timonium sales, we think is perfect because you can take a little bit more time with them and get them right. And, you know, you don't press have to press on them as hard as early. So it, it's really, it's kind of worked out perfect for us. And I think, you know, they shine a little bit better as opposed to going down there against uh, all those other big monsters that all the, you know, the good, uh, Ocala people have, but um, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 been really good, and we love the Paget Bennett, the sales director. She she's the Phasic the Phasic boys do great, the the but the OBS boys do good too. Um, we're 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 gonna be getting back in the OBS market. And we're sure we'll be at April this this next year, if everything goes right. Well, let's quickly dive into the horses you sold today and yesterday. Let's start with. The sill topping son of Uncle Mo out of Miss Ocean City. Tell me a little about a little bit about how you acquired him and how, what he's been like to prepare. So we got him at the Phasig Saratoga sale, and um, he was a beautiful horse, but he was just a little bit over at his knees, and I think it you know it kind of scared some people off. But he had a great hip and hind leg and shoulder and he just we, we've we've bought a couple horses that have been a little bit over at the knee at the sale and you know some people say when you prep on them a little bit too hard they tend to they tend to get that way um not sure if that was the case or not but long story short it comes around and we're at this sale up here and he's he's not over at the knee anymore he's perfect so i think if he would have had if he would have been perfect there at that sale he would have brought a lot more but um but Frank Taylor was there and he's like, Boys, what do you think about this Uncle Mo? And we're like, We like him, you know. And uh he said, Well, I think you guys can get him. He's about to go through and uh we don't have a whole lot of action on him. So, you know, we watched him go through and and they bought him back and we ran back to the barn, looked at him, looked at him over again and you know, me and my dad talked about it. I was, we were like, he looks pretty good. He's got a good pedigree. He's by the right stallion. He said, you know what? Let's take a shot. But over in the knee doesn't bother us. It, it's it's uh, It's been good to us buying, you know, in past years. It's just gotten better. So I think that's that's the reason we were able to acquire him. And uh, and ever since we started training on him, I, I, was, I was in Australia for most of the time, but my dad would call me, and he's like, man, he said, this guy – He's like, I think he's a freak. He said, we just breeze him, and we're not asking him to do anything, and he's just he's just flying. He said, I don't know if I've ever, you know, we we have this was the best group of horses we ever we've ever had, and they're doing and selling really well, but this one he was just he was just special. 
Well, I guess that reflected in the sales yes. result as well. Donald yes. Lani bought him as an agent for Michael Lund-Peterson. Uh, you mentioned you guys bought him as a yearling, but did you also get other partners involved or did you end up owning him outright? Yeah, yes. We, we got some other partners involved, uh, some, some Louisiana connections. And uh, I'm not sure who exactly was in on it, but he was not part of one of the syndicate horses. We started that. Our little syndicate uh, started in September and October, but um, we're probably going to be doing a little bit more of that next year. But we just we just chopped him up into quarters, so uh, so yeah, it was it was a good deal. That syndicate is that something that you took back from what they do in Australia because that's a very common theme back in Australia that horses are divided into syndicates and that allows people to get in at a much lower price. Is that something right. you're trying to do here? Well, well, what we started was, I don't know, I don't know if too many people are doing it, you know, pin hooking over here, but I was like, dad, you know what? I said, I, I honestly think, you know, this, we, we deal with a lot of wealthy people in this, in the horse business and a lot of people do it for fun and some people do it to make money, but some people just, you know, want to have the fun. And, and I was like, man, just sitting, if, you know, normally he'll buy a horse, sell X percent, and, you know, and then they have to pay a bill every month. I said, why don't, why don't we switch it up? And this is what I did down in Australia when we bought weanlings. But I said, this year, why don't we switch it up and uh, we'll buy them. We'll put rough estimate of what we think the training is on top and insurance. And, and then they just pay one bill. And we, we divided it by, I don't know, say 20 shares. And so somebody pays, writes one check, and then they don't have to worry about it and just show up to the sale and, you know, it's it's great not having to sit down and write out a check every month. It's already done. They just it. I'm so sorry, getting a phone call right now. I'm not sure who that is, but um, yeah. So it, it kind of went over. It went over like crazy. They were like, "Man, this is so fun!" And everybody, it's like half of Louisiana was in on some of these horses. You know, everybody down there, like trainers that usually aren't into pin hooking, and they're getting their buddies in. They're like, "Man, you just got to write one check, and that's it." So it, it, it went over really, really well. That's incredible. So your main operation is based in Louisiana, if I'm correct? Yes, yes. We're in, uh, the training center is Copper Crown, and it's in Opelousas, Louisiana. And how many horses would you prep there on an annual basis? So usually staying around the, hover around the 30 mark, and some of it, you know, just get them ready to go to the racetrack, and then some... People send us the pin hook, and then the rest uh, are just stuff we've bought to take to the two-year-old sale. Getting back to the business of preparing yearlings to turn back around at the two-year-old sales, uh, would you be able to explain for some of the listeners that might not really know what is involved, what you guys do, and what makes you so successful? Because you've been doing incredibly well. <laughs> well, you know, it's my dad's been... He started off as a as a quarter horse guy, and then when I was younger, he kind of transitioned into thoroughbreds, and then he got into the pin hooking side of it. But he was training at the track forever, so he's he's seen all the, you know, about all the issues you can be thrown at you when it comes to racehorses. So, um, but what he does, you know, he gets them back, and then you know you give them a little bit, a little bit pace work here, then you breathe them like a, a short sixteenth of a mile, like half speed. And just kind of build up from there and just kind of give them little, little, little more, little more to where, you know, they can build up and just kind of strengthen up and not do too much with them too quick. Because if you start getting issues, I mean, you're kind of dead in the water. So you kind of got to baby them along because it's not easy. <laughs> they, they, they can be pretty brittle. and But you have a timeline that you have to get them ready for. And if, if you can find that sweet spot of. Well, we gotta we gotta get them geared up, but you can't gear them up too much. I and mean, it's 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 pretty crazy balancing act, really. He's got it mastered. I <laughs> he likes the training side of it. I'm more of a bloodstock guy, and I like buying and selling. I like the weanlings to yearlings more, really. But um, he he he's got the training bug, and he likes being there at four every morning and going in there and seeing his horses. So he's he's got it. He's got the art mastered at this point of how to get them right. And, ready for their big show so they can perform the best they can on that day. What would normally be the timeline from a yearling coming from the yearling sales to then breezing as a two-year-old at the two-year-old sales? Are we talking, you know, do you give them a break after yearling sales and then start picking them back up? 
I think he a lot of the times he'll break them and 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 take them to the track for a little while, but then um, he'll uh, he'll give them thirty days off. So he might just jog them for thirty days, or he'll turn them out for thirty days. But he'll get them broke and going, and then give them a little break, and then start back up on them again. And then most of the time, you know, we buy them July through October, and uh, July through October, and we start selling March through May. Looking at the times, now this is something that is very specific in the United States. Now, I have more experience with the breeze upside in Europe, albeit times are now becoming increasingly important there as well, but they never used to be, but they are definitely more uh, more pressing than before. But here, I mean, your colt breezed in 10 flat and some of your other colts breezed in 10 and 1 and 10 and 3, 10 and 1. How important is that? Because it seems to be the end all be all, but me being here at horse person, having broken in yearlings and, and, you know, done my fair bit of two-year-old sales and coming from that European background, I'm thinking, isn't it about how good of a mover the horse is and seeing that potential? How do you look at this from an American point of view? Right, right. That's, that's a very good question because it, it's, it's hard to separate them sometimes, but they have all this analysis, stride length, you know, this and that now that uh, some of the agents like to do. But really, you know, for instance, the, the Uncle Mo that we sold, he um, worked at 10 flat. And uh, he actually, it's funny because I think there was a photographer like right at the coming into the, the stretch there. And uh, I think he spooked from it a little bit because there was a couple other horses that did it um, in the same spot. And he bounced off the rail twice and switched leads. And but they uh, there was a bunch of people that clocked him and they got him out in 32 and four, which is basically unheard of because this this track up here is uh, it's smaller than most. And um, and you got to start your eighth breeze in the turn. So so there's you know some of our other horses that are really nice horses, but they're galloping out. You know, 34 and change, which is still really good. 33 is like amazing, but I've heard from a lot of people they're like, that might be the fastest work that is, that might be the fastest horse that's ever set foot on that track. And they sell a ton of good horses up here every year. I think there's a statistic this sells, this sale up here has sold the most grade one winners out of any sale, you know, in the US. So the fact that he can go out there and perform, I mean, Donato, <laughs> Donato was hanging around the barn like all the time. He was like drooling over this horse. He's like, this thing is amazing. He's gorgeous. He's got a good pedigree. But literally that time, I mean, he's just, he just might just be a freak. It's hard to get all of those together, but you got to separate them somehow. Because if they all have good action and, you know, you got to do the times, there's just so many. Yeah, there there's a common conception of people possibly believing that horses coming off the two-year-old sales might need a little bit of time before being relaxed enough in a way to get to the racetrack and and race in a comfortable manner Mm -hmm. do you think that's the case do you believe that they because they breeze over one furlong so the time we were talking about 10 seconds flat is for one furlong now i know that some horses do also breeze for two furlongs i'm not sure if they were doing Mm -hmm. that in this sale but that is common too do you think that that might tune them up a little bit too much for those shorter distances and they do need to learn how to relax or do you think that's a, a misconception? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure because um, everybody, there's a few people that train them differently, but uh, we, we, you know, we teach them to breeze fast, but we also train them and teach them everything they need to know to go to the racetrack as well. So we don't just literally just focus on the eighth we we build a good base underneath them before we start working with just the you know putting the speed into them we also got to get some endurance and we do you know two minute licks and stuff like that so we don't it's not you gotta you can sell you can't just have a good sell horse it's gotta go on and perform as well so if you're just selling fast horses and just focusing on that and then you know selling them for a bunch of money and then they don't go perform people People are pretty smart and they'll catch on to that. So it's, at the end of the day, you still have to train them like a racehorse, like you need to go to the races. 
Well, that's a very good point you made there. It's not about just having a sale horse. It's about the horse and the family going on to perform. And of course, your horse is coming out of your consignment, performing well to make sure that people keep coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we're going to wrap this up, because I'm pretty sure you have lots more other places <laughs> to be tonight than sitting here talking to me. But I wanted to quickly chat about your two frosted colds that both sold very well for mm-hmm. $250,000 each. Now, I was a massive frosted fan myself, as you know. So could you tell me a little bit about both those colts, uh, lot 70 and lot number five? Yes, we loved them both, and they've been training great all year. And uh, we had that uh, the white frosted. I think the dam was glorious view. Yeah, but, um, number five. Yeah, hip five. So he he was gorgeous. He came into the breeze. I think I think the the rider. I think he spooked from the whip a little bit because he he bolted to the outside and then he came back back in on the rail. And I think it cost us a couple ticks because we were really. We were kind of expecting him to uh, perform about as you know ten and one because that's kind of what he's been doing back at home, and um, so we were a little disappointed there. But he still he still sold great, and we're glad that you know Steve Young got him, so he's getting he's in good hands. And uh, but man, he was so athletic and had a great walk on him. So hopefully you know he can light it up at the track. Also, we had the red frosted we called him, um, <laughs> and he was half to Kodiak. Okay, yeah, white one and a red one. But he was half to Kodiak Cowboy and um, a few other good horses. And he was beautiful horse on the end of the shank. You know, he got up. He, he, he didn't have the prettiest walk. But I think it's funny, these two-year-old sales, because, you know, some people will pick them apart for the walk. But at the end of the day, if, they, if, you're, if you're sprinting them and you can see they have good action and they're running good times and they have good stride length and all that, you know, then does, does the walk really matter that much? It's in my head. That's how I look at it. You know, it's not a walking race. They're running. But there's some people, they got to have the walk. But I've been around so many decent horses that, you know, my dad's had that have no walk at all. And they can just run a hole in the wind, you know. So me personally, it's not all about the walk for me. But go to other parts of the world, they got to have it. So... <laughs> I do but think that might... that's, yeah, that's a different in parts of the world. For example, in yeah. Australia and in Europe, if they don't have the walk, they yes. won't sell well. Yes. I have an end of mischief down there in Australia that's a monster, but he's got no walk. So <laughs> they were like, I'm not sure about end of mischief, and I'm definitely not sure about that walk. But we're getting really good reviews from him right now. So so hopefully, hopefully he can do well down there. Fingers crossed indeed. But it's just funny. But, you know, maybe the surfaces have something to do with it, you know, dirt as opposed to grass. I definitely do think that plays a major role. I feel like turf horses mm-hmm. have a bit more of a, a sort of a cat-like walk in a way. Like that more that smoother yeah. action. And I love seeing that myself, too. But, you know, that would if one didn't have that big walk, but the, the athlete was there, it wouldn't scare me off. It's a very American point of view that I'm not knocking because mm-hmm. your horses are different and they're <laughs> running very well on the dirt. Quickly getting back to something you mentioned about the gray frosted or the white frosted. Is that what you call them? Yeah, the white yeah. Frosted. He's pretty white. Yeah, white white and red. We get the white frosted. Frosted uh, out of glorious view, hip number five. You were talking about he was shying a little bit away of the whip. What are currently the whip rules when it comes to the two-year-old sales? I'm not really sure, to be honest. That's more in my dad's department. But we try not to do it a whole lot, just kind of because we have some some of them that are just a little more immature mentally, and you kind of got to get their attention. Hey, we're at work. We're working right now. You got to pay attention, and let's go. You know, not so much of, hey, if we whip him, he'll go faster. You know, it's not really. We try to tell the guy just, hey, just make sure he's focused and, you know, doing his best. So, but you'll see some of them there. They, <laughs> I don't know if they think that, but maybe, oh, if I whip him a little bit more, he'll go a little faster. But I don't, I, I don't think that's the case. That was going to be my next question. Do you think it makes them go faster? Because personally, having sat on many two-year-olds, I also think sometimes it can actually distract them a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's just, you know, different, different things work for different horses. Cool. Thank you so much. I'm pretty sure you're going to go out and celebrate because I'm so 
happy for your family that you've already thank you, thank started you. the season off so well in this year that is so uncertain for most of us. And the majority of consigners are trying to, you know, make ends meet and not sure how, you know, how to sell their two-year-olds or the yearlings at the yearlings sell. So I don't know if your guys are selling any yearlings coming up this year. Um, yes, I have a few um, with some partners in Hannah Matheson. We have a, a pin hooking, a weanling to yearling syndicate. And so I think we have about seven going. So a little, little nervous, but um, we have some, we have some good horses, and I think the the, the good ones and the market's still going to be there. So, and we're not, we're not too worried because we brought some good horses to this market, and it was definitely still there. It was very encouraging to see the strength of the buying bench today and mm-hmm. yesterday at the Facing Tip sale in Timonium. So full credit to Phasic Tipton for bringing them all together and for, Absolutely. You know, for all the consigners having their horses ready because it must have been very mm-hmm. tough keeping them in a holding pattern. I don't want to ask you another question, but how was that like? Did you keep them in a holding pattern? How did you bridge this gap in the timeline, basically? Yeah, yeah my dad was like, well, you know, we're just going to maybe not breeze them and just, you know, just do normal work with them, just kind of let them relax a little bit more and then just kind of pick it up i think there was there might have been like a month lag time where are we june may june yeah and so it's it's uh he's like he just backed off them just a little bit and he and he couldn't have done it any better because they showed up ready to go well cole thank you so much and give your family my best as well please i absolutely will thank you thanks for having me i hope everyone enjoyed this week's show and learned a little i for sure know that i did Of course, there's so much incredible action as well on the weekend to look forward to. Uh, Belmont Park's 2020 Met Mile does not disappoint and just offers a stellar field yet again. Eight horses who have a combined 20 graded stakes victories between them are lining up. We have four-time group group grade one winner McKinsey, last year's Travers winner Code of Honor, Uh, Johnny Velasquez takes the ride on Code of Honor again. He's also the jockey that has the most Met Mile wins to his name. And he's looking for a sixth victory there and is breaking from post five. And if McKinsey wins, he will be the first North American-based male to win a grade one at two, three, four, and five years of age. I mean, that would be something to write home about. And don't underestimate Vacoma's chances either, who posted a career-best 110 buyer last time out when winning the Grade 1 Carter Handicap a month ago, right here at the same track, Belmont Park. And if that uh, isn't enough, the Met Mile is followed by the Grade 1 Manhattan over a mile and a quarter on the inner turf. Connections of Sadler's Joy hope that three times is going to be the lucky number for him because he placed twice in this event before, But there comes Chad Brown. He takes on about three uh, Chad Brown runners, amongst which grade two Fort Macy Stakes winner in still regard and second place getter in that race, uh, Devamani. Also, I'd very much like to highlight what is going on overseas, the Derby. I'm talking about the original Derby, the one taking place at Epsom Racecourse over a mile and a half on the turf this Saturday. Runaway Derby Trial Stakes winner English King is the favorite there. It's a first ever Derby runner for trainer Ed Walker and Frankie Dettori is aboard, followed by 2000 Guineas obsessed Kamiko in the betting for the Andrew Balding team with champion jockey Ashin Murphy riding. So make sure to watch that because you, if you are going to follow horse racing in Europe or you're just a horse racing aficionado you want to see this race this is arguably one of the most prestigious races in Europe but then on Sunday it might even get a little bit better we'll get the chance to witness probably arguably the most anticipated debut of any horse of this year she's a dual European horse of the year two-time Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe winner and British Cup turf victress you know who I'm talking about Enable. She returns to action in the Group 1 Coral Eclipse. She takes on impressive Coronation Cup stakes winner Gahia, who truly did put away a stellar field at this year's Royal Ascot meeting, including last year's Derby winner Anthony Van Dyke. 
So guys, I really hope I got you excited because, wow, lots, lots to look forward to. So don't forget, see you next week, same time, same place. Don't miss it.